Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Thank you for another fun week of talking with so many people from across the globe. Um, thoroughly enjoyed doing this. I never realized uh, or imagined that the, the podcast would reach the level and magnitude uh, of the audience. Um, and uh, I hope uh, myself and Julie are doing the best we can to really legitimize mental health, destigmatize it, demystify it, um, and instill a sense of hope. Um, so uh, I'll give you my contact information, as always, at the end of the show. You can feel free to get a hold of me. Uh, this was a fun week, because I think about half the evals I did were from people from uh, different parts of the United States and different parts of uh the world. So uh, much appreciation and gratitude for uh, the confidence that you've placed in me to do a neuropsychival, and I look forward to following up with you guys. So today's topic, this is the third episode of which I actually made notes. Uh, now it comes down to can I read my own writing, because that is tends to be a problem most of the time. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, I do this program organically, but I Saw something on my desk, and I was like, "All right, I think this is this is a good topic." Um, so we're going to focus on. Uh, I like the work of, of Robert Leahy, L E A H Y. He's uh, a, definitely a cognitive behavioral uh, psychologist, and his books have been, I think, tremendously helpful for a lot of patients um, across a wide spectrum of disorders. And uh, I want to focus today on problematic beliefs and responses to um, emotions. Um, now, that may seem surprising that I'm going to talk about emotions. I think I did an episode on it because it was Julie with the bags. Part with the cognitive behavioral therapy is really focusing primarily on changing the emotions and the behaviors. Uh, sorry, changing the cognitions and the behaviors and the emotions uh, subsequently change as a result. So uh, there, 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 there's... There's 14 problematic beliefs and responses um, when we deal with our thoughts and our behaviors, and I'm going to go through them and try and you know give a brief synopsis and, and explain them. Uh, the first is invalidation. This is kind of when you have like a a belief that other people don't understand or care about your feelings. I think that's something a lot of us experience is uh, you know feeling mis misunderstood or. Um, being minimized, uh, or as just the term says, in, in, in invalidated. Um, that you know, you see this a lot of times with depression and anxiety. Just get over it, take a deep breath, go for a walk, take a bath. Yes, yeah, all sounds real simple, but when, when you're in the throngs of severe emotional dysregulation, uh, feeling invalidated can you know make you make an individual. Um, probably experience proliferation in, in their effective symptoms. Uh, another one is incomprehensibility. Now, this is the belief that um, that your emotions don't make sense to you or that they seem to come out of nowhere and, and you, you can't figure out why you're so anxious or sad. It's like, it's like incomprehensible. Like why I can't put my finger on why am I sad all the time? Why am I depressed all the time? Why am I constantly checking if there's like OCD. Um, it's really a, a belief with the um, that your emotions don't make sense to you. And a lot of people, when they first kind of get into the therapeutic process, 
sometimes you know there there you know say there's a you know precipitating event uh someone has passed away uh there's a divorce uh there's some situational variables you know a lot of times there it kind of cuts both ways there is there is a clear precipitating factor but a lot of times sometimes people will just say i i don't know why and that's really a, a primary focus of cognitive therapy is kind of you know i've talked about this process of kind of vertical descent of really taking the global problem and being able to parse it down like peeling an onion and getting to the and you know if you, if you peel an onion um your eyes start to water and very similar you know it that's where that's where some of the pain starts to unravel as you peel back the, the different layers um a third one guilt this is um this is like a belief like i shouldn't have these feelings uh, you might think like your your anger or or sexual feelings are wrong to have. Um, also, you might feel like ashamed if other people knew that you had certain feelings. Ashamed that uh, I suffer from depression. Ashamed that I suffer from anxiety. Ashamed that I have panic. Ashamed that I have OCD. Ashamed that I have sexual fantasies. Ashamed that I have um, you know anger problems. So guilt is a huge part of it. And you know again another thing you're trying to do with this whole process of demystifying mental health is you know all of us as as human beings we we feel. We, we are not immune to, to what the world throws at us. It, it's what we do with it um, and, and the steps that we take, hopefully adaptive ones, but sometimes they can become maladaptive. That could be substance use, could be self-injurious behavior, suicidal ideation, just re retreat, withdrawal, what I like to call sheet therapy. You know, just lay in bed all day, get up, go to the bathroom, and then just tuck yourself back in and not want to deal with the world's problems. So there's a lot of, you know, guilt, and, and I think there's a lot of shame when people have emotional problems and especially depending on you know family dynamics you know some families you don't talk about mental health um you know if you you know older generations you know they didn't really you know, try and get like a background history uh, ask about usually ask any history of anxiety depression bipolar schizophrenia ADHD, autism ocd and you know if i'm talking with like an older individual they really don't have a good picture um, they used to say yeah, that something was off, but no one really talked about it. Uh, you hid crazy Uncle Harry in the closet. You know, Grandpa wasn't an alcoholic. He just worked at the factory all day, then then went to the bar, and then came home and, and passed out. So uh, there is a lot of shame in, in, in people um, admitting, I think, not only to themselves, but to other people that something might be off. Um a fourth one, my number four, this is my writing gets to be a problem. Um, simplistic view, simplistic view of emotion. Now, this is the belief that you should you should not be ambivalent about yourself or anyone else, um, or you should only feel one way. You you can't tolerate mixed feelings, and you know this is kind of. I think there's some denial that that kind of goes with this one. Um, why would you believe that you need to be ambivalent 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 uh, about yourself? or anyone else so that you should feel a certain way and again these shoulds uh shoulda coulda woulda it's a great book by one of my professors uh arthur freeman i think it was one of his first books i think it's a mindset that we all go through uh a woulda coulda shoulda thinking it's you know statistics we call it a post hoc analysis where we can look retrospectively the old saying hindsight is twenty twenty. all right 
Number five, uh, devalued. This is the belief that your emotions are not related to your values and that there is no valid purpose connected to your emotions. Um, this is an interesting one because people, you know, sometimes they can't make the connection between why, why they feel this way. Um, and, you know, if you, if you live a certain lifestyle and something happens and you, you, you go into a different emotional state, there can, there can be a sense of devaluation of, of, of someone's own emotional experience. Uh, sixth one, loss of control. Uh, this is a belief that kind of reflects the thought that mm, your strong emotions will get out of control. Uh, so you, you think that you have to keep them in check or they want to unravel. So I think there's some emotional suppression, you know, that, you know, if I do feel this way, I'm not going to be able to, like almost opening Pandora's box or letting the genie out of the bottle or if you use like, a, you know, uh, uh, boiling water on the stove and you take the top off, that the, the smoke arises. And, you know, part of therapy is really, um, from a cognitive perspective, is, is you don't lift the pot off right away. Just similar, you don't take a Band-Aid off a, a, a bleeding cut right away but with the pot you slowly pull the lid off because all that smoke is going to be way too much for the individual to handle and also people in relationship with that individual individual so people i think a lot of times suppress their emotions they're aware of them but they suppress them because they like i don't know what to do with this stuff um i'm not in therapy i'm not taking any medication what what do i do uh so there's that that, that i think irrational fear that I'm going to lose control if I if I start to go down this route of trying to explore the etiology or, or, or what's causing this. Uh, another one is numbness. Now, this is a belief that you don't experience emotion, uh, especially strong emotions. Uh, when other people might experience the same emotions, some people get to a point of, of being emotionally numb. Now, sometimes that's a result of, you know, medications. People report, like, I... I I know I'm sad because this happened, but I don't really feel sad. And uh, other people just sometimes can feel emotionally numb because they've felt this way for such a long period of time. It becomes the norm. It becomes the status quo. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's what Eric Beck, you take depression, what he called um, a depressogenic schema. We don't have a, a disorder for, for I think we should of depressive personality disorder, but that's really what he was describing that, that there's are, there are individuals that are just kind of like Eeyore that are just, um, numb. And the, the clinical term is anhedonia, the inability to experience pleasure. Uh, a fourth problem is being overly rational. Uh, this is an anti-emotion belief. Okay, uh, you think it's extremely important to be rational and logical, uh, and and the emotions simply get in the way. So this is this is a kind of a cognitive mind game. I think people play with themselves that um, the emotions really don't have a place, um, and I need to come up with a logical, rational. Um, uh, explanation for why I feel this way. So, and in, in the Rorschach is actually really good, and so is the MMPI really good at being able to pick up these ty this, type, this specific type of in individual, Julie. 
this specific type of, of, of individual that is, is overly rational and they're looking for, they, they tend to some, a lot of times resist, resist psychological interpretations of, of, of problems and they're looking for a very linear, uh, um, what's the word, very linear, very structured and very tangible explanation as to why they're feeling this way. Uh, another one is duration. This is the idea that your emotions are going to go on forever and that they are not temporary and then, and that you are relegated to a life of misery. You are relegated to a life of despair, of hopelessness, of desperation, of anger, of irritability, of anxiety, of panic, of, of OCD. Um, and, and I see this a lot sometimes with people who've been in the mental health system for an extended period of time, they've seen multiple therapists, they've been to multiple prescribers, and they still have their same problems. And you see this a lot of times in larger based community organizations, at least in the United States. Uh, a lot of them, these are first entry jobs uh, for people coming out of graduate school. And, you know, patients sometimes will have had 15, 20, 30 therapists and they, they, they tell their, they tell their story, they tell their, you know, and then the next thing they know is their therapist is gone or they're leaving. Uh, so there, I think there is some legitimacy to that group of individuals who have been in the mental health system because, you know, you, when you walk to an office, I tell people I have all these d diplomas and degrees and stuff on my wall. I tell people that just makes people think I know what I'm talking about. Um, and I think there is an assumption, just like when you, we go to our primary care, that we have the assumption that you're going to be able to fix whatever problem that we have medically. Uh, same thing with, with, with people who've been, again, involved in the mental health system for an extended period of time, and they've talked to multiple things therapists and they've talked to multiple prescribers they, they've been on multiple medications it's really you know it, it's hard to really discount what what they're saying that yeah i i'm beyond hope when that is not the reality it could be you've been with the wrong provider they have the wrong diagnosis again i will say this ad, ad nauseum i think on almost in every episode please get a full neuropsych eval because it's the only way to know what you're what you're supposed to treat and what you're supposed to medicate and i i, I see it day in and day out um of just the whole diagnostic picture and and this is the vehicle and the mechanism by which to give you the answers it gives you answers with definitive, a definitive answer with precision, with clarity, and with tons of information that really extrapolates whatever is going on, you know, psychiatrically. So duration, I think, is one that's really kind of has does have legitimacy. Um, Provided you're not being like a help rejector, but somebody who's actively trying to get better and 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 is 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 struggling and has struggled, uh, yeah, I think that belief. You know, maybe, yes, it could be irrational, but I think there is some rationality involved in that. Uh, another problem is low consensus. This is a belief that um, your emotions are very different from the feelings of other people. Um, you, where the individual kind of thinks... I'm the only one that thinks this way. I'm the only one that feels this way. That's it's some to, sometimes you agree like nobody understands, but you know it, this is the, the, these are the private cognitions that 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 go on in in, in our minds. But it, it's 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 a feeling of, of of loneliness, a feeling of isolation, um, and then you know this internalization that I, I something is really wrong with me, and I, I am I'm I'm defective. I, I'm I'm broken. I'm I and you know. 
depending on the on the personality infrastructure of a person, if you, if you're not willing to share that, these these type of individuals who maintain this problematic belief suffer, I think, tremendously because there could be shame, there could be um, lack of resources, which is uh, finding out from talking with people like is is worldwide that there are just not enough mental health providers and certainly not enough good mental health providers. Um, in the world, I'm very fortunate to work with a group of colleagues uh, who are phenomenal from uh, psychotherapy and the different modalities and, and psychopharmacology. Um, so very blessed in, in that aspect. But, um, you know, I think that feeling of, you know, I'm the only one who has these feelings can be a really lonely and dark place. Um, another problematic belief is non-acceptance. Um, this is... Um, the belief that you can't tolerate or accept your emotions and you think you need to escape them. Uh, so this, you know, this is, this could kind of be, you know, a little bit of sheet therapy. Uh, this could be, um, a lot of avoidance. This could be rationalization, intellectualization, uh, that's where some of a lot of the defense mechanisms may come up, but you know, it's really the belief, uh, that you can't tolerate or accept your emotions. And again, there could be a variety of, of reasons for why that might be occurring. Uh, rumination, another problematic belief. This is, this, is, this is referring to like dwelling on things or overthinking. What is wrong with me? I can't believe I feel this way. Oh my God, this is, like, this is chicken little. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. This constant, people can't get out of their own way that they begin to perseverate and they're going online and they're, and they're, they're looking at this up, they're looking that up and they're seeing this and they're just, they, they, they just are, pers- are consumed by this. Um, where, where, you know, I'm trying to, I always tell people, whatever you have is something you have, not something you are. People who ruminate, they, 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 they become whatever disorder they have and they, they define themselves by it and they live their lives by it. And those are the lenses by which they view themselves or the people, the world around them and the conclusions that they draw because they can't get out of their head. They're constantly thinking that there's, there is a problem. Um, Another one, a problematic belief, is uh, low expression. And this is where it kind of reflects your belief that you can't talk about or express your emotions without feeling self-conscious or awkward. And this, I think, is a really important one because, um, you know, there's cultural factors that um, certainly play out here. Um, there are sometimes, you know, male, female, you know, just, you know, strong, manly men that don't want to talk about their emotions. Um so, you know, if you, if you believe that you can't talk about your emotions, I think a lot of that stems from family of origin and how emotions were displayed. Uh, you know, I've just stories from patients over the years, like, we didn't talk about emotion. You know, you didn't, you, you know, if you're sad, it was suck it up, get over it. Uh, if you're anxious, you know, too bad, go outside, go play. Um, so if, if you don't grow up in that, with that framework of how you see your parents or, other adult figures um, model emotional regulation, um, I, I think that there is a high degree of, um, what's the word, high degree of um, self-rejection um, of your emotions. And, you know, it may, it may take a lot of uh prodding and prompting to get this type of individual to pick up the phone and make a phone call to get into therapy. 
Uh, and the last uh, problematic belief is blame. This is the belief that other people cause you to have feelings. Well, I think we say this all the time. You made me upset. You made me sad. You made me angry. No, I can't make anybody feel a certain way. I mean, could we do things to increase the likelihood of somebody entering into a certain emotional expression? Absolutely. If I brought Julie flowers, that would increase the likelihood that she would adopt a, a, a happy emotional state. But if you know, I, I said mean things to her, that would increase the likelihood of potentially ad adopting an emotional state of hurt or anger. So blame is a huge one. And this is this where we really got to have a reality to check and take a look in the mirror and, and really say, I can't make anybody feel a certain way. I've said this quote before, Eleanor Roosevelt, nobody can make you unhappy without your permission. And this is, this is the amazing part of the human spirit is we have complete control over what we allow. The world comes to us, comes to us all. The world does not stop for our problems, even though we think it should. And we think other people should stop for our problems, but that is not how it works. But it's amazing and to, you know, I'm trying to instill this sense of power that that we all have in being able to control what is in our lives, what is not in our lives. A little more a little more difficult when you're when you're when you're a child or adolescent and you don't have as much freedom or access to um you know, being able to leave a situation, it's, it's not that always that easy, but, but the human psyche is such that it is ours and we own it. And sometimes people give away their peace to toxic people in their lives. And, you know, it, 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 X always causes Y. So when people say, I don't know why I feel that way, you, there is a, there is a reason. You know, barring neurological in injury, their X always causes Y. And that is the goal of cognitive therapy. Is to feed, well, the Y is very obvious. That's what the person's reporting. Okay, I've diagnosed you with bipolar. I've diagnosed you with a depression. I've diagnosed you with OCD. Whatever I've diagnosed you with. What testing is not able to do necessarily is figure out the why. You can figure out the what and really explain the what in great detail, but I can't figure out the why. That's the therapeutic issue. But people will oftentimes come in and be like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I act this way. I don't know why I think these things. And there is a reason. And I think there's some people that, you know, you go back to these, these 14 different um, problematic beliefs. Uh, they're in there somewhere. And that's why I, I like Robert Leahy's work because I think he does a really good job of breaking things down into very specific component parts, and it it, it gives him much. Um, it's it's just help. It's easier to help identify when you have kind of a categorical list of, of things. Um, are there people that do all fourteen of these? I'm sure, there's somebody out there. Um, you, know, you can look at the work of Malcolm Gladwell about um, outliers. Great book. Um, so I just wanted to bring this uh, topic up because it, it's, again, not doing much therapy anymore, but I, this is something I think all of us can relate to, all of us can identify. I think we've all used some of these uh, at different points in our lives because, as I've said, in order for us to be able to sleep at night, we have to distort reality to get some semblance of peace. And peace can sometimes be elusive. And 
you know, Julie always uses the, the, the cloud example. Every, everything problem has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that may include psychotherapy. That may include medication. Obviously, the best combination, according to the data, repeatedly studied over the years, cognitive therapy, psychotropic medications have the most efficacious outcomes for the treatment of the vast majority of the psychiatric conditions in the DSM-5. So hopefully this, Julie, you want to say anything? All right, she's out. Hopefully this was helpful. Um, again, uh, you know, it's it, emotions that they, they, they come to us all, uh, but just please realize how much control that you actually do have. Uh, it doesn't mean it's it's easy. Sometimes it involves making very difficult decisions, removing certain people from our lives. Uh, sometimes we have to close doors that we we are too afraid to close. Uh, you know, you can go back if you ever saw the movie What About Bob? Baby Steps. Um, it's a great movie with Richard Dreyfus and. Uh, Bill Murray, if you want to get a good idea of, of, of OCD, not OCPD, but obsessive compulsive disorder, I would definitely recommend watching What About Bob? Uh, it's a funny comedy, probably from, you say, the 80s, Julie? 90s? Yeah, 80s. Uh, a lot of good movies came out of the 80s. So, um, anyhow, hopefully this was helpful. Uh, feel free to reach out to me at Psychology Today. You can get a hold of me through email at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. You can contact me directly, 617-750-9411, East Coast Standard Time in the United States in Duxbury, Massachusetts. Until next time, be well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Thank you for tuning in every week and for all your comments and feedback. Take care, and I will talk to you guys next week.